You're listening to the City World Radio Network, high-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world, www.cityworldradio.com. about the club we're about to launch on January 1st. So 
without further ado, without boring anybody else about me, <laughs> let's get to why we're here tonight. It's an absolute honor and thrill to introduce my guest, uh, Dwayne Tudal, who's the author of Prince and Purple Rain Era, Studio Sessions 1983 and 1984. For 25 years, Dwayne worked in the entertainment business. He produced and or directed programming from the History Channel, CBS, Fox, Discovery, Food Channel, HGTV, and many others. He's been an editor on multiple Emmy-nominated programs, including Intervention, Cops, and Unsolved Mysteries, and he's a former stand-up comedian. So I don't know what gets better. Dwayne, it's an absolute honor to have you on tonight. Welcome. Thank you, Emily. It's great to be here. Very excited to be here. Been looking forward to this for a bit. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, and I, and I, forgot, I neglected to mention not only all the other things and accolades and everything, accomplishments that you've had, you've spent the past 25 years um, writing about or, or in, in investigating into the music scene in Minneapolis as well. Right. I've been doing the, the, the writing about the Minneapolis scene for about a quarter of a century, uh, and that's what kind of led me to uh, decide to write a book uh, about Prince and his studio sessions. And, well, yeah. well, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. But so you were you were producing and directing and programming, but were you simultaneously researching the music? Yes. Yeah, I, I still do the same thing. Uh, I was working for a lot of different TV shows. I've been working in, in reality TV and documentaries for years, uh, like, like you said, Unsolved Mysteries and Intervention, Cops, and a lot of other things like that. But I've also produced a lot of shows for the History Channel and, and things like this. So I kind of went into this looking at it as a bit of a documentary. Um, to me, if you're going to write a book about him, you, you need to interview the people that were there, and the people that were there were the people that were just, you know, engineers and things like that in the uh, studio with him, and they spent, you know, 17, 18 hours a day with him. You kind of get to know a person like that. So I, I started, I became friends with some of these people and found out when he had done certain music, and I started asking him questions, and they, they had the best stories. I mean, stories that I sat there going, wow, that makes me listen to the song in a way I would not have imagined before. So I started talking wow. to the engineers and the band members, and for the past, for about 20 years, I, 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 wrote, I was working on the book, and I finished it, actually finished the book completely the month before he passed away. And uh, that was the toughest thing, because, you know, you spend 20 years working on something. I never interviewed Prince myself, but you spend 20 years working on something, you feel like, you know, you know the, the subject. And, and mm-hmm. um, so when he passed, I, I went through a, period where I wasn't sure whether to put this out. And I reached back out to the engineers and band members that I knew that I interviewed, and they said, you need to put this out. It's wow. a, a tribute and an honor, uh, it, it's a, a book that honors him and, uh, and the work he does and the hard work he did. Um, and uh, the tricky thing, the hardest thing for me was going back through the book after I was finished, after he passed away. Um, I still don't like to say that he died. He, I, I, there's something in me that just feels like I, it's, it's strange to say that because it doesn't make sense. But I had to go through the book and change everything from Prince is to Prince was. And that's, that, that was the tough wow. thing for me is, is going through and, and realizing that it's no longer a time to look forward to what he was going to do. It was a time to reflect on what he'd done and what he brought to us and how he entertained us and how much he gave to us. And the things I learned through this, his humor and his charitable work, uh, are things that kind of get lost in the mix because everybody sees this guy in ruffles and lace and heels. They don't understand that the, the, at his core he was he had a good heart, and I think that's important. No, I'm going to go back 25 years. So how did you 
even begin this journey? How did you decide that that you were going to write about Prince and, and the music scene while also doing all of the other things you were doing with the producing and the editing? Um, like any writer, you, you feel like uh, if you've got a good story to tell, you want to tell it. And, uh, somebody said to me one time, if you have great stories in your life, how could you not write? You know, it's, it's how could you not want to share that with the world? And with, like I said, with documentaries, uh, the best documentaries take you someplace where you don't get to go. Right. And, and uh, you know, you get to go to a cave in Siberia or the, the, the inside the pyramids. Um, and that's what I, I, I went to this like that, thinking this is going into a room that nobody else was invited into except for the four or five people he would invite in at any time at the most. And so that, that to me, was intriguing. And what, what went in, into the music that I loved, and, and we're about the same age, so I... I that's the soundtrack to my to the eighties for me. You know, that's all that music was exactly what I was listening to at that time, and so I, I wanted to, to do this. And I thought, well, you know what? I have my evenings. I was young, I had yeah. extra energy. I didn't have a kid yet, right. and so <laughs> and so I, I was able to, to you know work the evenings and work the weekends on my book. And that's you know, it also took me twenty years. So obviously, I wasn't doing it every minute. You know. Right. <laughs> Were they accessible? Was it easy to interview the band members and the, and the producers and the inside people? Yes and no. Uh, the yes, uh, I got to talk to a lot of people who had never talked before because nobody reached out to them. Um, and so they're the ones with the really cool stories. Um, so they were, you know, once they knew who I was and saw what I was doing, yes. The, the trickier one was finding the people who were the closest to them and then making them understand uh, what I was doing with, with, you know, that it was done with honor and, and it was, you know, done with respect and being able to get all of the revolution to talk to me was, you know, like a, 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 a kid's dream. You know, I, I grew up loving these people and, and so right. they would sit and talk to me um, was the greatest thing on the planet and that they would share stories with me. And once they saw this, they were, you know, all aboard and that, that, you know, I, I can't thank them enough because they were just, you know, the, so that the funny thing with those, some of the people with that came at the last minute. Like I was literally delivering the book and one or two people would say, oh, wait, I'll talk to you. And I was like, <laughs> OK, I deliver Monday, but let's talk Saturday. <laughs> and it was but I, you know what? You get Wendy or Lisa or Bobby or or Brown Mark or Matt Fink saying that I'll talk to you. You you drop what you're doing and you do it. So that's why. Yeah, it was great. Oh, it's the best. So tell us about this journey. I mean, everyone's on the edge of their seat, I'm sure, because we all, like you just said, uh, my entire youth growing up was Purple Rain and Little Red Corvette in 1999, when Doves Cry, you name it. Yeah. And every song has such a vivid, nostalgic memory, too. Like, every time I think about one of those songs, it almost like I can feel it because I can remember where I was and what was happening at the time. Well, this is, and I know, let me let me explain one second. One of the reasons why we both feel that because it, there's there's certain musicians that can translate music in a way that gives you goosebumps. That that yeah. that you know, this is a guy. Got to remember, this is a guy who's doing this in the studio by himself, and yet he could still put something together where he played bass and drums and keyboards and guitar, and then still give you goosebumps by doing that. That's that's something that's rare. Um, and uh, the journey for this was, is, what was the question? I'm sorry, I, I, I got all excited oh, yes, the music. Oh, yes, I know you do. <laughs> now I'm thinking about all these, these memories that I have. <laughs> um, just how 
where this began. So you decide, I'm going to write about him. I'm going to... I was yeah. I was lucky enough. Uh, back in 2003, I was uh, I was directed a video for Sheila E. Uh, of a concert she did. That was a reunion concert with the Revolution and the family and and a lot of the people that played for Prince. Prince didn't show up, but it was a lot of people that were there, and so I got to know a lot of these people. And it was at rehearsals and sound checks, and so I became friends with a lot of these people, um, or at least good acquaintances with a lot of these people. And they knew my face, and oftentimes yeah. when people know your face, they're a little more trusting. Um, and uh, so they started telling me stories. And again, I went back to them and said, I'm working on a book. I'd like to use these stories. I didn't just take stories people told me because that's not really fair. You know, somebody tells you something, you know, when you're just sitting there having a meal, that's one thing. But if somebody sits down and has an interview with you and talks to you and says, yes, I understand that this is going in a book, that's a lot more trust. You know, that's, that's somebody saying, I trust you enough to share these stories with you and, and that right. you're going to do right by this. Um, because I, I've been interviewed for things before, and and like this, <laughs> you, and you, <laughs> by coincidence, um, and you 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 trust the person that's doing this. If, uh, I always thought if, mm-hmm. and I, I feel the same way when I was doing documentaries. If somebody invites me into their house to interview them, it's not my job to mess with them. It's my right. job to make them sound as smart and 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 clever and all that is possible. And and right. so I want to make sure that I honor the people that that if somebody gives you access to somebody, it seems like a real jerky thing to do to kind of mess with them. And, and the these people were, were the best. I mean, honestly, I, I I have come back to so many of these people I interviewed with additional questions going, well, this doesn't make sense. How do you explain this? Or, or what can you tell me about this? And they've been great. And honestly, I, I consider these people, to, I treasure these, the time I have with these people. I've flown wow. all around the country to interview them, and, and I have the best time with it. I sometimes pinch myself saying, and I've got the greatest gig in the world when I get to do this stuff. Absolutely. So amazing that you did this. It's so cool. So going into it, how much did you know about Prince and what was going on? And I guess, and I'm sure along the way there were a million surprises and a million things you didn't know, but can you sort of tell us that journey? Like sort of coming in, you thought one way and, and what you found out going along. Well, uh, when I was doing this, I had originally gone, I, I wasn't sure how to write the book. I wasn't sure what, what way I wanted to write the book. And it could be a, all his whole career book, or it could be a small section. And I was able to get the the actual daily work notes from what he did in the studio for a court from 1981 to 1989, I guess. Could I, and, and he took, so there were his notes. Yeah, it was the, it was the stuff that they it was the notes about what they did in the studio every day. That's so and, cool. Yeah, and so <laughs> when I had that, I realized I need to write a studio session book. And there's a book about the Beatles out there called the I think the recording Beatles recording sessions, and. I had nothing to do with it, but that was sort of the template for this. And I thought, they tell their story through what the music is. I decided yeah. to tell Prince's story through his music. And this is a guy that didn't do interviews, didn't do things like this. And uh, um, so he talked through his music. And so I wanted to do something that, that honored that and told his story, what happened in his life through his music. And oftentimes he'd record two or three songs in a day. And when you're doing that, you are telling everybody how your mood is that hour. You know, it's not like you're waiting a week to do a song. You're actually cranking out two or three songs, so your morning is summed up in a song. Your afternoon is often summed up in a song. That's his story, and and I don't think people quite realize how much detail he revealed about himself, whether he's happy or sad or in love or angry or hungry, you know, um, or hangry. You know, there's uh, all that stuff is, is there in his music, and I wanted to make sure I found a way to tell the story in a compelling, not just 
this 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 date this date this date, but in a right. compelling way that tells his story that interweaves his life into his music and back and forth and and uh, talks about that. So and it worked out. I mean, the the book uh, only is is called Prince in the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, so it only covers two years, 1983 and 1984, which is when he did Purple Rain and Around the World a Day. But the the amount of music he recorded, to give you an example. At the beginning of 1984, he recorded music for Purple Rain, an album for a band called The Time, an album for Apollonia 6, an album for Sheila E., an album for a band called The Family, and songs for The Bangles, songs for Sheena Easton, and songs for a song for, uh, uh, no, actually, uh, Stevie Nicks was earlier. But still, that's all within like six, eight months. <laughs> I know, that's crazy. Nobody does that. It's nuts. So that, that to me is... You know, when you find that stuff out, it's like, well, everybody should know this. You know, everybody should know that this guy recorded five or six albums in a few months. You know, and they're good albums. So, yeah, Purple Rain's a pretty good album, you know. Was he the sole, so did he write all of his music, all of the lyrics? How did, at least for the most part? Was yeah, he... I'm, I'm mostly, uh, yes. Uh, he would have certain people, Des Dickerson, who was a guitarist for a while, or Wendy and Lisa come up with things. Um, Bobby Z wrote a song, but and, and other people would contribute. But for the most part, it was Prince doing almost everything himself. And like uh, he would go into the studio and record "When Doves Cry" by himself, or a song called "The Beautiful Ones" by himself. And I think Bobby Z said, his drummer Bobby Z said, "That's what you get when you have uh, an, uh, Prince alone for 24 hours. You come out with a "When Doves Cry" or with a "Beautiful Ones." That's the kind of talent this guy has. You know, and, and nobody can do that. You pretty much aren't going to find somebody else who doesn't need a producer or writer or drummer, but Prince could do all that stuff. And that's, you know, I, I don't want to make him seem like a deity, but the, the guy was head and shoulders above just about anybody out there when it came to the amount and the quality of music that he was doing. Because, and also he could play, I mean, every possible oh, instrument, yeah. from the drums to guitar to percussion to... You name it. You name it. I mean, I've, I've said something before, and I, I, I don't don't mean to repeat myself. And somebody's hearing this, but you, he played. He was on the cover of Guitar Player magazine, Keyboard magazine, Drum magazine, and and uh, Bass Player magazine. You don't get like that unless you practice, practice, practice. And and that's the other thing people need to understand is at the peak of his skills, he was still recording. He wasn't out partying. He wasn't out, you know, doing whatever it was. He was back in the studio recording his next album. He he had his next album basically recorded before Purple Rain came out. That's how prolific and and intense the guy was. So that's you know that, to me that kind of stuff just there's nobody that does that. Nobody, and I don't know if there ever will be. I think the sad thing is there probably will not be a next Prince. We 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 were lucky to be here when he was here because. You know, I don't think it's going to happen again. So when he would go in and do these albums, how many of the songs uh, was he the sole sort of, uh, you said he wrote, he produced, he he um, managed the songs, but many times, was he the sole instrument? Like, was he the only one playing A lot of times, yes. A lot of times. And, and it, wasn't not, it wasn't necessarily because he didn't like other people, but it was for speed. 
he could record that fast. He didn't have to teach somebody else the songs. But that said, <laughs> during this period, he would incorporate this, the people around him, Wendy and Lisa and, and, and people like that, that would come in and, and sing with him or record with him. Um, so that was something he did a lot. But he did, for years, did stuff on his own. He had a studio in his home. So he could wake up, you know, slip on some sweats, and, uh, and go into the studio and record a song. And that's, you know, whatever groove he had in his head. There were times when he'd, he'd say he was, uh, he'd hear a groove on his toothbrush and he had to go back in and record, um, <laughs> you know, things like that. And, and you, when you're recording that much, you're going to be using everything you can. There's a story somebody told me about him walking across the floor and his, his heels made a certain sound. And that was the drum sound. He said, oh, I was not going out to dinner now. And he sat down at the drums and laid down that drum track and wrote a song around that, you know, over the next <laughs> couple years. That's, that's the kind of thing he would do. This guy thought, ate, dreamed, and slept music. Everything he did was about music. And, and so you had to be able to relate. You had to be able to speak music to relate to him or else you were not in his inner circle. So, so speaking about that, what what did you learn, I guess, about his personal life? Like, how how was he with relationships with other people? And, and did he, I, I don't even know, was he married? I, I don't know. You no, know, he was not married at the time. He was dating uh, more than one woman at the time. Uh, he, was, no, he did date a lot, and he was not exactly the uh, most loyal right. uh, boyfriend, I guess you could say. Um, and it's sort of the understood thing that you're... If, if you're, I guess, if you're in a relationship with him, the ante is that you have to accept that he was going to be friends. Um, but again, <laughs> he's 24, 25, 26 years old, the biggest star on the planet. You know, I don't think he was looking to get married necessarily. Right. Although he said he was because I, he came from a broken home, and so I think he was looking for some consistency. But I think at the other side of that is that, that he didn't know who to trust, mm-hmm. and so he would not know exactly where to go or who to trust, and he always thought people would leave him or hurt him. And so I think that he has defenses up a lot. But, again, this guy, you know, he was the biggest star on the planet, and a, a huge sex symbol. And, and people who weren't around during that time may not quite understand how this five foot two guy in heels with makeup and uh, ruffles uh, could be loved by the ladies, but he was. He totally was. The guy was a big sex symbol at the time. Yeah. You know, up until the end, he really was. I mean, the ladies loved him, and the guys thought, oh, yeah, it's a cool guy. We accepted yeah. him. He, he is funny because he created his own world, and we just accepted it. Like, okay, that's Prince. And we didn't question whether he came out in pants that had no butt or whatever it was. <laughs> we were just like, all right, that's you. That's good. I'm not going to be wearing those to work, but good for you, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, we, we completely accept that. And, and that's part of the fun of, of him is there was a, um, I think it gave all of us permission to be artistic and to be ourselves. Yeah, and, I think that's true. You know, and I think that painters and everybody that's a creative person can look at what he did and say, yeah, this guy didn't give, you know, didn't give to, you know, what's about uh, doing this. He, he, he said, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I want to be an artist, and that's life. And if you want to follow me, great. And if you don't, maybe you catch up to me later. And we did. And, and if you did make it into his inner circle, like you had said, yes. what, what, what did they talk about Like when you would discuss what that was like? The big thing they told me is that everybody told me how funny he was in private. I mean, first off, very controlling. Uh, very controlling, and that's, we all know that part, uh, to the point where, you know, 
he would be very demanding. If you were late for rehearsal, you got docked, things like that. He would work all night until 6 or 7 in the morning. And sometimes then move the ne- that shift would go into the next shift, which would go into the next shift. He would work two or three days in a row without a break, just burning through engineers. You know, they'd, they'd get tired and go home. Uh, he said, just bring in another person. But the big thing I hear <laughs> everybody is his humor and his his uh, his charity. Um, when they would tour, he would have a thing called a purple circle where he would have tickets they would give away or he'd give a private show to a, um, a college for the deaf um, or things like that and didn't really publicize it. And he paid the crew to go there and do this, paid them $100 to do a, um, a setup for a show. That was a charity thing. And that's, I think that's something that gets lost in all the craziness. Yeah. And when you, when you can be that big and still give back and give back privately, quietly, not wanting attention for it because it's from your heart, that's something that really needs to be recognized. And we need more of that today. We need a lot more of that today. So. Right, because that was never known. I don't think anyone knew what he was right. doing. And that's the part of the fun is he would do that. And he would, the, um, when he premiered Purple Rain, the song, he premiered it with several other songs. He did it at a benefit show at First Avenue, and and it was a uh, he raised twenty three thousand dollars for a dance studio because he Isn't loved really? what he did. that was yeah. the premiere. Yeah, that was that was when he did the, where he premiered the the songs there, and that was just a few months before they started shooting the movie, and that was you know that's the kind of guy he was when it came to this stuff. Yeah, he was controlling. Yeah, he was strict, and yeah, he was incredibly talented, insanely talented, but at his heart. His heart was a good guy, and he gave, and he, he helped people. And, yeah, granted, he helped people on his conditions, but he did help people, and he gave, and yeah. he, he donated to – he did a lot of charities. There's a, um, there is a charity out there right now called the PRN Foundation, uh, PRN, PRN Alumni Foundation, and they have realized – they are all people that used to work with him, and they were so inspired by him that they continue his charitable givings. So he not only did it himself, he inspired others to be better and to be more giving. And I think that's something that's pretty impressive. And and it's so important that your book is bringing this out, too, because like we were talking about before, like you and I said we were of similar age. Yes. And he was such an influence in our lives. Absolutely. And I'm sure it continues to be with every generation, but just an incredible influence. And it was so different. And it was so new. And it was so... Like, like it really like it made you feel something when you when you listen to him sing, but that he was doing all this behind the scenes and nobody knew about it. Yeah, I think that's the other thing is is the, uh, the he maintained a, a presence that was supposed to be mysterious and and odd and and uh, whatnot. And but behind the scenes, he was you know I think like I said he was he was still a young guy in twenty four twenty five. Imagine the weight of the world on you at twenty four twenty five. I mean right now it's tough. I can't imagine <laughs> the idea that that entire movie is. We all assumed that Purple Rain was going to always be successful because it was. You try to get funding for a movie about a guy, like I said, who's five two, wears heels and makeup and lace, and you know, dances around rubbing his butt. You right. know, you're going to have a hard time getting. Who's only had a few hits? You're going to have a hard time getting money for that. There's no guarantee that would be a success. And at the time, MTV really wasn't much of anything. And now, looking back, it's like obviously a success, but all that weight was on his shoulders at the time. And yet he was still making some of the best music of that era. 1984, his album, Purple Rain, came out, and it was number one for most of the year. 
And that's a, that's a year that you had uh, Bruce Springsteen's uh, uh, Born in the USA. Uh, you had, um, what else do you have? You had uh, Thriller had been out. You had Madonna. You had a lot of big albums. You had Huey Lewis and the News. I think that year there were only like four or five albums that were number one. His was number one, I think, 26 of those weeks. I think that's what it was. Wow. Yeah, it's just crazy, the, the success he had, the number one movie, number one single, and the number one album at the same time. <laughs> I know. I know. You, you, crazy. We, we don't even think about this. It's, it's to the point where we just it's assumed that he's going to have been great, but there was no guarantee of that. And that, to me, is, is a kid with a dream saying, you know what, I'm going to try this, and if you make this, if you want to, we'll do it right, and we'll do it together. You know, hey, guys, let's put on a show, you know, right. that kind of thing. And I, I love that. So, and, and going, doing all this research, and I'm sure everyone out there who's a huge fan is wondering, or I am too, um, did you learn about sort of the messages behind some of the songs like Purple Rain or When Doves Cry? Did you learn, was there a personal story that went in? I write about a lot of the personal stories in there um, whenever I could find them out. Uh, it's always, you know, it's always tricky because you never know, you know, and, and somebody could be, a uh, story could come from three or four different places, you know, like any right. painter or artist, they're inspired by multiple things. You know, I, my my book was inspired by five or six different books. Um, I can still say that that, in, you know, that inspired me, but there's several ways along, the, there several things along the way that did that. Um, I think he was the same way, but I did talk to some of the people who were involved with the songs, were um, his romantic uh, partner at the time, Susanna Melvoin, who was his uh, fiance, uh, right around uh, right soon after that, talked to her extensively, and she would tell. That's Wendy's uh, twin sister, Wendy Melvoin, his, his guitarist, twin sister, and she sang on a lot of his songs as well. But she would say, "This is what he was doing that day," and this song was inspired by us having a cup of tea, talking about this, or driving around having a milkshake, That's you know, so and, cool. and you know, and when you hear. It get down to a, a, a man, a person. That's when it's, it, it, it makes you go back and hear the song again as, as if you never heard it before. And I think that's part of the fun. I went to, uh, for example, I went to Graceland years ago, uh, Elvis's home. And I'd always been an Elvis fan of sorts. But when I went there, it, was, it reminded me that this was a guy. And we mythologized. Myth, myth, we make our celebrities into something they aren't. And right. we don't we forget that they're human and they're people and they make screw ups and they do stupid things and they say the wrong thing and they get gas or they trip and yeah. stumble. We forget that. And Prince made it very clear that he didn't do that, at least as far as we were know. Uh, the the joke I keep thinking is you never saw Prince reaching for a straw with his tongue, you know, like, uh, yeah. like he, he couldn't reach a straw or, or stumbling. You didn't see that. He worked 24-7 to be Prince. But that was to us. Behind the scenes, this was a guy that had close relationships, as close as he'd allow, and would, would be somebody that people could, you know, um, talk to or joke with or sing with whatever it was, and I think that that's something that does get lost because, you know, we were fed his, his image, but behind the scenes it was a different guy, as, as much as possible, we can know that. So that's that's one of the things that was most fun for me is finding these stories and hearing people talk about this stuff and the people that loved him. I would tell you across the board, almost every person I, I interviewed loved him and misses him and spoke so highly of him about what he did, what he brought, and every musician I've worked with him was a musician afterwards. And not only musicians, 
the people who did his publicity were better publicists. The people who were his assistants were better assistants. Everybody grew because he made you grow. And if you didn't grow, you weren't paying attention. And that's the big lesson to me is in somebody yeah. who comes in your own life and is giving you lessons, open up your ears and listen and pay attention and learn. Because if you did not learn by working with Prince, you were burying your head in the ground because this guy was nothing but lessons, good and bad, but lessons of how to achieve your dreams and your goal. And it's work, 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 and surrounding yourself with people who believe in you and your dreams. Of all the stories that you heard about him and you learned about him, is there one that really sticks out, like one of your favorites? Gosh, um... There's a lot. I, I, I put me on the spot here. That's a good tough question. question. No, no. Here's the trick. It's a, it's a 500 page book. So I'm it's a 590 <laughs> page book. So I'm trying to think of a, a part in here. Um, I think that the things that, uh, well, uh, one of the things that I, I loved is he had had a hit or two with uh, Little Red Corvette in 1999 and went to his managers and said, I want to do a movie. And they're like, wait, what? And he said, I will sign with you guys, because he was up for his contract, was up for renewal. And he said, I will do a movie if you can get funding for a movie. I will do, I will do, I'll sign a contract if you can get funding for a movie. And they went, we can't do that. And he said, well, I'm signing with somebody else then. And they went, okay, okay. And, they, and, he, and he said, I want my name above the title. Now, this is a guy that had never done anything. <laughs> and for him to say, that's what I want, you're going, holy cow. And they did it. And they believed in him. And that He's a steamroller. He was a steamroller. And, and that, to me, is, is indicative of that. Another one that comes to mind is he fell in love with Susanna Melvoin, who I mentioned earlier. And when he fell in love with her, he sent her flowers every day. And I'm not just saying every day. I mean every day for wow. a year. And she said there was flowers everywhere. They're dying and they're rotting. And you're like, hi, 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 with the flowers. But this is a guy who, when he was committed to something, he followed through on it, and he did that. And you got to imagine this: a young guy who's 24, falling in love, passionate, and and had the world at his, at his fingertips. And and yet he still thought, "I want this woman that I've fallen in love with to have flowers every day." And I think that's wow. and, and he wrote he wrote songs about her, and he ended up putting her in a band. And you know, that to me is is part of the of the uh, what he did with he we liked you he wrote a song for you and tried to get you into his, his he tried to incorporate you into his music so that way you were closer to him and i think that's kind of cool wow that's really cool yeah. that I mean, was imagine, every day pretty imagine, cool too. imagine if you were if, if you and prince were in a relationship and he's writing you songs and he's saying i want you to sing on this come into the studio with me you what person would say no You'd go, okay, I can't sing, <laughs> you know. And he did have some people that really couldn't sing very well. Hold my hand, I'll help you through this. And make a song for him, and you go, oh, wow, that's a great song. And, and that's, that's kind of fun to me, when you start realizing, oh, that's a song he wrote for this. The other thing that's funny to me is he would write a song for somebody, and they'd be like, oh, I don't know, and he'd have somebody else record it, and they'd be upset. Uh, there's a song he wrote for, um, uh, what was it? Uh, oh, Sugar Walls by uh, Sheena Easton. And uh, he wrote that, and he had Jill Jones, his, one of his singers, uh, who he was also dating at the time, thought that was going to be her song. And he ended up taking her out to dinner and saying, yeah, here's the deal, Jill. Uh, I've given it away to, my manager told me to give it away to, uh, to Sheena Easton. She's like, what? 
<laughs> that kind of stuff, you know. Or he did a song called um, "She's Always in My Hair," which is a B-side, and it's a really fun song. But part of the line is is uh, um, maybe I'll marry her, maybe I won't. And he was in a fight with somebody, and he brought that tape to her and said, "Here's a tape for me apologizing because I, I do care for you." And she listened to it and she said, "Wait, you're saying maybe I'll marry her, maybe I won't." No, the woman always in, knows who she's going to marry. The man doesn't have any say in this. And and she got really mad at him. And I think that kind of stuff is when he realized he was fallible. And he said things that you're going, oh, gosh, I didn't mean to say that. You know, we all do right. that. But but you do it when you're a celebrity. It's, there's a lot more weight to that. So, you know, it's it's. I think hearing those kind of stories and knowing that the guy was vulnerable and the guy had insecurities makes his music that much more profound to me. Well, and as you're saying that, like, I think about, you know, unlike Little Red Corvette or 1999 that were so upbeat, when you think about, like, when doves cry, that it, it, like, you kind of felt like a yeah. twinge of sadness. I don't, I yep. can't explain it, but there was maybe a twinge of sadness when you would listen to it. Yes. Did you learn anything about that when you were researching? Well, I, I, like I said, he was, he was, um, he, I'll give you a little background going up. He didn't end up living with his mom or dad and ended up living with his best friend, Andre Simone. Uh, his name was Andre Anderson at the time, but that he lived in his house. So he lived with his best friend for several years without being home. He really didn't have, until then, a solid foundation. And I think that if that changed his perspective on relationships and all this other stuff. And he said that in interviews. And I think that that's an interesting thing because you see that in his music, and you listen to When Doves Cry, and you're hearing him talk about his mom and, and his father, and you're thinking, wow, you, this guy is full of pain. And yet he can convey you know, his joy and, 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 and a range of emotions with his music. That's, to me, something pretty amazing. I, I, I have to respect somebody that can not only do a great sad song, but it can do a fun song and then yeah. do a blues song and then do a country song. He wrote a song for Kenny Rogers. Did he really? Yeah, he wrote a song for Kenny Rogers. <laughs> that, is that crazy? This is the range this guy had. You know, when you're <laughs> writing songs for the Bangles or for Kenny Rogers or for, you know, all these different people, he even wrote one for um, uh, Joni Mitchell and Joni said, no, I don't think that's my type of song. And that kind of stuff, you're just going, wow, this guy, the, the, the amount of stuff he was doing for other people you know, he did a whole uh, um, uh, worked on an album with Bonnie Raitt that never came out. Um, that wow. kind of stuff. It's just when you when you realize the the range this guy had, and and again, blues, jazz, funk, rock, pop, um, R and B, uh, probably a few other things in there. I'm forgetting, and he did them all well. That's that's pretty cool. No, and when. Of course, everyone knows, you know, his, it was Prince and then the artist formerly known as Prince. And can you explain a little bit about that and how the um, the, the journey of his, the name, and then it was the symbol, like, how, what was all of that? I know there was maybe a contractual dispute with Warner Brothers at the time. Well, and I don't really write about that in the book, but I can tell you what I know about that is part of it was a contractual thing, but part of it was a spiritual um, path he was taking. Um, Prince went through several periods in his life where he had a spiritual revelation. And um, he did that with an album called Love Sexy. He did that with a symbol thing. And uh, once, one or two other times when he did that, where he would feel like he had a calling. And it was something that would feel like it changed him. And he would feel renewed and change the direction of his music. Um, that was one of the things. I think part of it was a contract thing. Part of it was that was what he he just felt like at the time. And again, an artist is going to do what an artist does, 
Um, and that's part of um, what is enjoyable about an artist. If it's somebody who just does the same song every yeah. time, you get bored with it. And somebody like Prince kept us on our toes. And, and uh, I think that that's one of the reasons why he's, he's uh, timeless in many ways. The sad thing to me is that the next generation doesn't quite understand that. And yeah. our job right now is to make sure the next generation gets it. And, or else he kind of dies again. And that's, that's a tough one, because I think as he got older, he wasn't having the hits he was having, but he was respected. He could go to an award show, and there'd be a standing ovation. And I think there are a lot of people that didn't quite get why he was so important. I'll tell you a great story. Um, my daughter, I have a nine-year-old daughter, who uh, I try to instill the you know, Prince into, but also a lot of the music. But we were, we were going somewhere, and she mentioned the guy behind the counter. My dad is an author. And the guy said, oh, what do you write about? And I said, I wrote a book about Prince. This guy was a young guy in his 20s. And he said, oh, Prince, I heard a song by him on the radio a couple years ago. <laughs> and I was like, I, I was like, wait, wait, wait. And I'm looking around for a chair. You know, I'm feeling like I've got the vapors. You know, I'm <laughs> feeling lightheaded, son. And, and I thought, no, no, it's not just some guy you heard on the radio a couple of years ago. This is a guy who has sold millions of albums, is, is probably the most dynamic live performer ever, and all this other stuff. But he was a young guy, and what he, his reference to him was that he thought he heard him on the, on the radio. He didn't remember what song it was, but he remembers he liked it. That's unfortunately where people go. And I think it's sort of like my generation when it comes to like Bob Dylan, we respect him. We know about him. We probably don't have too many albums by him, uh, if we do have any. Um, but we know that people respect him, and they, they see him, and they, and they think, oh, he's that mumbling guy. Yeah. Um, it's sort of the same thing with, um, with Prince to the next generation. And our job is to build bridges to that generation with, with letting people know, and, and, and whether it's through his charity work or whether it's through his, his artistic work or just sharing the music. Um, and, and letting people know that, that this was a guy who made a difference, not just the 80s would have been, 80s would have been a little more boring without him. Or even broke barriers, like you were saying before. I don't think they realized the barriers that he broke at that time. Oh, yeah. Well, he was one of the few people, one of the first people to be playing on him, uh, first black people to be playing on MTV, which is amazing. Um, at the time, it, it, was, it was a very um, suburban channel, and he was one of the, he and Michael Jackson were two of the first ones on there. Um, and that made a big difference to people because they could all of a sudden see this and know that this is music that's, 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 that's great and, and worth your attention. And I think that was a, a real... And life-changing, I mean, very much, don't you think, wouldn't almost sort of change the direction of music and the expansion of it? Like it allowed people then, because they, because especially Prince, took those steps. Oh, I mean, yeah. he opened the door for everybody. Oh, I think about, you, you look at the, you know, as, uh, there were a lot of Prince wannabes after that. And some were good and some were not. But you had a lot of the Jets or you had all these different bands that were singing songs that were similar to this Minneapolis sound. You had a lot of people that did this. The funny thing to me is Prince was also behind a lot of the things up there in Minneapolis. Like I said, he recorded for the time or Apollonia 6 or Vanity 6 or The, uh, the Family or Sheena Easton or Sheila E. And he did all this stuff. But oftentimes he would not put his name on these songs. He would use fake names. Really? Alexander, yeah, he would use a name like Alexander Nevermind or different <laughs> Joey Coco or things like that. He would just make up a name that he would he would say. And, and I asked the one Jane of the Star. why did he do that when he's doing all this stuff? Why would he do something like that? And the reason was he wanted it to seem like it was an army 
he didn't want to seem like it was one guy. Because mm-hmm. if people see it's an army, they're paying attention. They're going, oh, there's a wave of things going. If it's just one guy, they'll be like, oh, it's that guy. But he wanted to seem like, look at this. we got a, a thousand people doing this. And, and I thought that's kind of a cool way of... Uh, of him getting his stuff out. He was his own competition. There were times he'd be on the charts at number one. He was, I think, number one with Kiss, and number two was uh, Manic Monday, which he wrote. So he's competing <laughs> against himself. He made his own competition. What well, I didn't know he wrote Manic Monday. I love oh, that song. Oh, yeah, that's a great song. And he, did, he did that in the studio. He, he, the cool, okay, I'll tell you a great story behind that one. He was recording till late the night before. And he told his engineer, which is Peggy McCreary, uh, Peggy Mack, who is credited on the albums, he uh, told her, if I dream something, you know, if I, if I come up with something in my dream, I will, uh, he, he called her in the morning and said, I, I've dreamed something, if I dream the chorus, I will, will, will record it. And then he, re- he dreamed the chorus, so he dreamed the verse and the chorus, and they came in in the morning and they just recorded that in one day. And it was because he had dreamed the song. And I thought, that's wow. crazy that you're dreaming something. But it's it's if you look back, it's similar to the song 1999. It, there's parts of it that are similar. So he was his own muse on that one. But that's the kind of thing he would do. He could just whip out a song like Manic Monday, which is a fun, fun pop song, on a whim. That's something he could just do it in his sleep, as they say. You know, that to me is 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 what the the artist, you know, the artistic side of him demands to be known is that kind of stuff. When you hear that he does that kind of stuff. You know, how can you not pay attention to that? Because you never know what you're going to reach in a grab bag, and every time it's going to be something different. That's part of the fun to me. So, when you went back to look at the, the studio sessions in 1983, 1984, were, were people, and again, it's all recorded as well. I'm sure it's all the recordings you're listening to, but were people taking notes? Were, like, what else do you look through? Well, I, I was looking through um, a lot of. Again, the book is called Prince in the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions. So it's, it's all about the studio sessions at the time. Um, but what I was able to get is the work notes, uh, the work orders, and that would tell me what was done, sometimes who was there, because they would sign the things. Um, I went and found the union notes for when the musicians were there. I talked to the engineers and band members. Oftentimes they would have uh, notes for their billing or kept uh, personal journals or diaries of what they did there. Um, or we just kind of sit there and listen to the albums and stuff like this. Wow. And they they tell me, oh, I remember doing this song or whatever. And that's the other thing is, is I had um, Brenda Bennett, who was one of the singers of the band called Apollonia Six. She was also in Vanity Six, and she was over at the house. We were going through music, and she heard the song that she hadn't heard in a couple of years, and she started crying. And she said it was just it was this is long before he passed away. She was just like it was a tough time at times because we were really working hard. But it was really something, and these were brothers and sisters to her. And so when she's hearing this song, she just she needed a couple minutes to to just kind of tear up. And I thought that's it touched them. It it it, it was something that attached to their core. And to this day, they still are all you know. It, they, some of them missed up when they talk about this stuff. And I think that's you know, it's you're talking about somebody to us. Prince was Prince. I mean, he was the guy on stage. He was yeah. the guy. Somebody said that. Uh, the stage rises a foot every time he plays on it because he's that good. Um, but he, we see them as Prince. We don't see the other things. But to everybody else, this was their friend, their coworker, their lover, their partner, their band member, band leader, um, boss. You know, and and when he passed, they lost somebody that was attached to them. You know, almost like DNA. And to us, we were sad. And you know. 
things got lit up all around the world. But to us, we lost an icon. They lost a guy they knew. Yeah. And that's that's the thing that I, you know, I think we forget. Again, this is a guy as a person, and you you don't it it, it hard to explain. But you just you don't think of big stars as being people sometimes. And I think that's the sad thing about celebrity is we kind of forget that they they have to eat, they have to go to the bathroom, they have heartbreak, they have good days, they have bad days, they break a leg, you know, and, and we kind of, you know, we don't remember that. So I think knowing some of this stuff, is it makes their work more profound because they were able to do this work when they were being a person. You know. Right, it humanizes them when you hear yep. the story. That's absolutely, absolutely. And it humanizes the music, too. It makes yeah. the music that much deeper when you know... And relatable. It. Yes, absolutely relatable. So that's the thing to me. You know, when you, you said, the, uh, you mentioned before that sometimes that he would dream the chorus, he would dream the lines. Did they, did they ever talk about, like, would he come in in the morning and say, okay, we're doing this today? It's yes. like, this is it. I've written all the words in less than 24 hours, all the music, and we're doing it. Did, did they ever say, like, specifically any of the songs that they did? Well, or? he would do that. And there were times that he would sit there. What, what he would do often is he would go out. If he didn't have something in his head, he always wanted to be recording. Sometimes he'd just record until he got a groove. And uh, But he would go out in the studio and tell his engineer, can you just tape record, put in a cassette and tape this. And he'd sit there at the piano and play for an hour looking for just a riff, looking for some sort of groove, and that would become the song of the day, or that would become or the song of the morning, more accurately. Wow. And, and uh, there was an album that just came out uh, in August called Prince um, Piano and Microphone, 1983, and it's him just sitting there at the piano, just by himself playing, and you get a feel of what he was doing with that stuff. And he did that all the time. did that constantly, where he'd just be sitting there noodling on the piano, figuring out songs, playing songs he knew growing up, playing songs he's working on in his head, but he would record the song and then sometimes not have the lyrics and think he would just sit there scatting during it, you know, during the thing, and then he'd go back and say, okay, I need to write the words, and he, he could write the words in half an hour. <laughs> and he had a bed in the studio, and he would sometimes just lay on the bed and just write his lyrics out, and they were all handwritten lyrics. And that's the other thing is, this guy, lyrics of all the things he was he was doing that he would sit there and use to read and, 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 and perform. That's, wow. you know, that's the, the fun thing to me is that, you know, he would do that stuff. And, he, and his bed in the studio was a, had purple sheets on it because, <laughs> you know, they, that's one of the things that at, at his studio in, in, uh, in Los Angeles called Sunset Sound, he was there all the time. And so they said, oh, we'll put a bed in there for you. And so he could, you know, not sleep there, but work there. And, and uh, that to me is, is, you know, this is a guy that when you're doing that stuff, that you could be writing all this stuff and singing all this stuff and performing all this stuff and thinking in terms of projects and putting albums together and putting yeah. a tour together and putting a movie together. In this, again, in this two-year period, and it's literally a two-year period for the book, he had, uh, he was on two different, he was on stage over a hundred times, did several albums for other people, did a movie, did videos. This is all within a two-year period, you know, that would be a lifetime for most musicians. You know, with all of the songs and everything, do you have a favorite? And maybe not necessarily because of the song, because you so intimately know his journey and everything, maybe a favorite because of what led to the song or, the, you know, the surrounding facts about the song? Um, I'm a collector of music. I'm, so I, I have been a collector of Princeton, so I've heard a bunch of stuff that he's never come out with. And so I, I have favorites of those, but the favorite that, that people would know 
is to me an obvious one, but I love Let's Go Crazy. Every time I hear that, it's the best way to start an album. It is. It starts off with like a, a choir and a church revival thing, and it turns into this rockin' song that ends with a blues lick, and it's it's a brilliant way to start the album, a brilliant way to start the movie. It's just, it gets you. And it's not just a good song. He's saying, let's go crazy. He's not saying, I'm going to go crazy. He's saying, let's all go crazy. Let's, let's do this together. Let's go crazy. Let's, you know, and it's just like, I'm there. I'm on board. I'm, I'm dancing. <laughs> just I'm for the record. The seat. How did that happen? That's and my favorite. That to me is, is when you can do a song like that and start an album that, that you go, oh my God, how you go from there? You've done everything on the song. And and uh, and yet the the album then gets better. That's 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 the way to do it to me. Uh, Dwayne, that just for the record, that's my personal favorite. I love that song. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> now you uh, thank you. <laughs> that's nice. That was our producer Preston, who's a huge Prince fan. That's and great. We were talking about this tonight, and I and we're running out of time. Oh God, we two minutes left. I have a question. So yes. Do we know? I know you can research it, but did you learn about Purple Rain? and sort of the, the meaning behind it? Here's the thing. It's always been a mystery to people, but he had talked about this kind of stuff back when he did 1999. He said the sky was all purple. There were people running everywhere. It's, it's about storm clouds and about, um, from what I understand, and again, people will tell you a thousand different stories about this, it's about a cleansing rain coming from the storm, and that's what I understand. It's, it's about... Um, it's about this storm kind of washing away our problems and, and taking care of us. That's the understanding I had for most people. But he could be anything. He would he would sing about, you know, whatever, and, and was whatever his whim was that day. But that's the understanding I had. He's, he's you know, he's saying, I want to see you in the purple rain, a cleansing um, uh, sacred rain is what I think he was trying to say to people. Oh, I'm so, we have about a minute left. I'm so sad because <laughs> I want to keep talking about all these songs. And as we talked about, Dwayne, um, I think of a similar generation, you and I, these songs meant so much to all of us. And I just hope and pray, and I can't imagine that they would not mean as much to every generation going forward, because there was just something about it. It brought you the high, it brought you the low, but every single song made you feel. Whatever it was, you were going to feel. I agree. I agree. It, it, to me, his songs take you away. And a lot of musicians do that. He consistently did that. He would do a song that would take you on a journey, and all of a sudden you were in Old Man Johnson's farm, or you were over here doing this stuff, and you were there on his journey. And I thought that was part of the fun, is that he was saying, look, let's do this together. I'm taking you with me, and we're going to have a fun time. And if you go along with the ride, you know, take a bite of this apple, we'll have a good time. And, 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 and it was... It, it was I never feel it was is a bad time listening to Prince's music. Period. It just I agree. You know, it's across the board. So yeah. That's so with that, I, and I can't believe our time is up. I know, I'm fast. Well, I'm going to for this forever. Dwayne, how does everybody now? Everyone out there needs to get this book. Obviously, wants to get this book. Okay. Tell us the best way. The book is uh, called um, Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions in 1983, 1984. You can get it on Amazon. The newest, uh, it came out last year, but the updated paperback now has an extra 30 pages of new songs, new information, new interviews. Uh, so that just came out about a week ago. You can get it through Amazon, or if you're looking for a signed copy, you can go to my website, which is Dwayne Tudal, D U A N E T U D A H L dot com, and you can get a signed copy there. 
Um, and I do book signings occasionally and stuff like this. We have a Facebook group. Uh, the Facebook group is called Prince, the Complete uh, Studio Sessions Book Series. Join that. Talk to me. Look me up on Facebook. Say hi. But you can get it in your favorite bookstores and probably some bookstores you don't like, too. It's, <laughs> it's in uh, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> and it should be. <laughs> I hope so. That's the plan. That's what. <laughs> This is great. Thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. You are oh. you're fantastic. You are you are a fun person. Oh, you're very kind, but I'm only fun because amazing guests like you come on the show. And everyone out there, go get this book. And again, you know, my my kids in their 20s listen to Prince and love it. And it just gives me such joy. Like, they get it. And nice. everyone, I mean, there's what you brought to everybody is so important. It's so necessary. And thank you for this book. Thank, thank you. you for the thank you very much. Have a fantastic week. Thank you so much. You do. Thanks okay. so much. And everyone, we'll see you next week. Good night.